Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I'm going to be off to Eagle FC right after this, but before I go, I wanted to make sure to get another podcast to you guys coming up on today's show. 
I'm going to tell you the real reason Amanda Nunes left the American top team. I'm also going to discuss Max Holloway's place in the featherweight GOAT conversation. Plus, I'll give you my official prediction for tomorrow night's UFC main event. But before we get to all that, let's begin with this. Islam versus Oliveira, mythical matchup at least for now, but they came out with a line. Islam was the favorite. Does that surprise you? It's my only question. Does that surprise you? And, I, and I'll answer my own question, which is a week ago, I would have said, yes, Islam's going to be the favorite. I even would have guessed it's going to be around two and a half to one. That could be a little bit of a stretch. I don't think that it would ever see three, even if money came in. I don't think it would ever offset enough to go that far, but Islam would for sure be the favorite. And by the way, I'm not going to be overly excited for the match. I have a very good idea of what's going to happen. Now, this is just Chael talking. I don't have that same opinion now. Like, Charles Oliveira looks so good, and he showed us such incredible skill that I have a very different opinion. And even if Islam did go out and win all five rounds against him, I still now want to see it. Right? Like, if someone can kick this guy's ass, that in and of itself is good enough for me as a fan. It's very different, right? Like, Charles has changed. Our opinions of Charles have changed. But it's a style of fighting that's hard to bank on. If I was to go back just recently in Charles' career, but Charles was an opinion away from never becoming champion. Michael Chandler was an opinion away from being the world champion. You'll remember the spot that I'm talking about. You'll remember when Chandler put him down. You'll remember when Chandler went to Swarm. If a referee would have chose in that instant to stop the fight, you might have complained a little bit at the time, but you'd have forgot about it by now. It would be a distant memory. It was a, he was an opinion away. That's true. Came back, dramatic fashion. Oh my God, dreams are made. But fast forward a little bit. The Poirier-Olivera fight was extremely competitive. Poirier gave Oliveira big problems. You go look at the Justin Gaethje fight. Justin didn't just put him down once. He put him down twice. Oh, by the way, he did it all in the very first round. Now, those are the things that add. That's what legends are made of. You think I'm giving Oliveira a hard time. That's what grit and toughness and perseverance. This is how you become a legend. You go do things like that. But I'm talking about betting right now. I'm talking about something a little bit different. You have an extremely dominant fighter in Islam with a much more beautiful record and not quite the accomplishment versus the greatest accomplishment who skins his knee and stubs his toe a lot, right? I mean, it's a really interesting thing if you're going to go part with your money. I gave you guys a comparison a week ago. And the comparison was just Oliveira to Khabib. They have two common opponents in Justin Gaethje and Oliveira. Oliveira, I apologize, and Poirier. Oliveira beat Poirier 61 seconds faster than Khabib. Oliveira beat Gaethje four minutes faster than Khabib did. But if you think you're going to look at those numbers and you're going to uh, spit out and deduce an equation that equals Charles being better than Khabib, you got to go watch the match. Sure, Khabib might have taken his time. And sure, maybe it took Khabib a little bit more time, but he was 100% in control for the duration of those matches. It might have been a more methodical approach, but it got him the exact same result, which was dominant victories, oh, by the way, finishes over the absolute number one contenders at the time. 
Oliveira did it a little bit quicker, but those fights were different, weren't they? The domination fact, that's the one thing about Khabib. It was his domination. 29 and 0, man, that's amazing. Champion of the world, wow. It was the domination. He would have fights with the absolute best guys and never be in trouble, never have it a question, never once a threat. Ric Flair. Ric Flair had a 30 for 30 done on him on ESPN. Rick's done a number of interviews, but he talked about one of the things that he would do when he was in the territory days. He was responsible. He was the biggest draw. He saw in all the arenas, bringing in all the money, feeding all the rest of the boys. But one thing that Rick had to do because he had no equal was he would have extremely close matches and it didn't matter who it was against. It wouldn't matter if it, it, it was the big star at the time. Like it didn't have to be Dusty Rhodes for it to be a close match. Whoever Rick went with, Rick would lose the majority of the match overwhelmingly, like 80%. Then he would get a win at the end, or he would cheat and roll the guy up and get a one, two, three. He would do these things to constantly plant in the fan's mind. Okay, that was close. He almost lost. Let me tune in tomorrow. I, I know it sounds simple, but I would make that comparison over to Charles. Like, Charles keeps getting the same result. He keeps getting his hand raised. I went back and read Charles's record. I really didn't know how, how long he's been so good. It's like he's won his last 12 fights, but he finished 11 of them. I think that's right. I think that's exactly what it is. But then even that dated back to like 2015 or 2016 since his last law. I mean, it's really quite impressive. We tend to remember, for whatever reason, the bad things or the things that didn't go as well. Man, that was a long time ago. That was a lot of fights ago. That was a lot of training camps ago. That was a boy, and now you've got a man. That was a, a, a contender, and now you've got a champion. It's a very different Charles Oliveira. But to act as though he doesn't fight with risk and have to pay for some of those risks at time, that's not true. Yes, he does. So what do you think? I'm just asking you what you think. Islam is the favorite. Critiques on Islam. He's never beat anybody on the top five. Well, correction to that. He's never fought anybody in the top five. It wasn't his doing. He tried to get him, but I'm just offering that for you. If you're saying Islam doesn't deserve the opportunity and you're saying you think that Islam could beat him, I, that one frustrates me, and that one happens all the time. All the time, somebody will say, well, I think this guy could beat him, but he shouldn't be given the opportunity. You shouldn't be able to hold a championship if you're not the best, truly. If you're not the best in the world, you should not have a belt that says that you're the best in the world. That's an interesting match, guys. I got to tell you, I was so light on this match. I did not want to see that match. I would have done my part. I would have come and talked to you guys about the match. And I would have given the little breakdowns and the X's and O's. And eventually I would have done an official prediction, also known as the curse. I would have done all of the steps. I really wouldn't have cared. It would have been an act. That's the match. That is absolutely the match. I got a pretty simple question. Would I rather see Conor McGregor versus Charles Oliveira? Or would I rather see Islam versus Charles? Connor's the biggest draw in the sport. And that's not just a factual number that nobody could rebuke. That's in my opinion, too. If I could see anybody fight in the sport, it's Connor. I like the whole show. I like the whole thing. I will watch if Connor goes in against uh, Oliveira. I like the matchup for Connor. I get the whole thing. But if you were to ask me, which one do I truly want to see more? Which one am I truly more curious? Which one do I truly not really know the outcome? Which one's a little, eh, could be this guy. Well, you know, if this guy, right, where you could have some fun as a fan. We love to have that debate, even internally. Well, you know, if this happens, right, that's fun. I think Islam versus Oliveira is the number one fight I want to see. 
in the toughest division in the entire sport, which means by proxy, if I could make any fight, I can't believe I'm saying this. I would not have said this to you two weeks ago. If I could see any fight, a dream fight for me, it might be Islam versus Oliveira. Now, another big storyline from UFC 274 was Michael Chandler's win over Tony Ferguson. We've talked a lot about Chandler's options, but we haven't really showed Ferguson much praise for his performance, so let me be the first to do so. You know, I'm sitting over here, I'm in between topics, talking with my partner Ryan, and we were discussing Tony Ferguson's, you know what, Ryan, stand down, turn the camera on, let's let's just do this, let's just have this conversation in front of everybody, because it is time for a Tony uh, Ferguson appreciation thread. It very much is. Let me give you a couple of, uh, of examples. I've never seen Tony Ferguson working so hard as he has in this past week. I have not seen, and this is a literal statement ever, this is a former champion of the world that's main eventing, that's selling out arenas. It's the first fight back, first sporting event, literally the first sporting event back was UFC 246. It was the only sporting event. It was the first one back after a period of time. I'm talking about the pandemic. But then it stood on its own until the next time Dana brought something back. We had no football. We had no hockey. We had no golf. We had no tennis. I mean, you go through the sports any way that you want. It's a literal statement. It was the first, first one. That comes with a massive payday if you're in on participation. And Tony Ferguson was. I mean, it comes, it's, it's a very massive deal. So keep that in mind. Henry Cejudo fought that same night, just by example. Henry Cejudo was on, in on participation, said adios. I mean, the numbers for that event were insane, for, largely for the reasons that I just threw out. We just brought so many different eyeballs on it. One guy says, goodbye. Tony Ferguson goes right out and fights again. I mean, but this is a real thing that you need to appreciate. And then Tony, who's up in the loft, right? He's ranked number five in the world. And at 155 pounds at that specific time, you have to understand the timeline. At that specific time, we had five stars. We had 10 amazing fighters. We had five stars. And the amazing fighters could not get on the docket with the stars. That is a, a story that holds true to this day with one exception, which is Tony Ferguson put the ladder down so somebody else could climb up. That somebody was named Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira is not where he is today, and he is not the champion of the world if it is not for Tony Ferguson, period. Period. Very interesting. Who's ever told Tony thanks? I don't believe anybody. Benny Darush is now one win away should things go the way they possibly will with Benny versus Islam. He is one win away from a world championship fight. That fight was already signed, insert Bobby Green. But my point is, Benny was never one fight away from a world championship fight if it was not for Tony Ferguson. And now you've got Tony out here. Tony's busy. Tony's talking to everybody. Tony's going in every direction. Tony got a response from Khabib. Told Khabib, I want to do the ultimate fighter. I want to do it with you. Now, what Tony's saying is at the end of it, then we're going to finally have our fight. Khabib said it's a really good idea, but Khabib took it from a perspective of, I'm now a coach. You happen to be a coach in a different life. Let's come together. Let's coach. Either way, Tony's dialogue and Tony's hard work and Tony's effectiveness is getting conversation. Now go back to the money. I know nobody ever likes to talk about money, but it is very relevant. Tony sits on top of a card that does insane numbers. A guy under him on the card in Henry Cejudo made so much that night, he's never done it again. Dropped the strap and walked away. 
Tony made that same money. And you know how hard it is for champions to come back? And I don't want to sit here and call them out. But it, but in fairness, a lot of times we don't see a champion come back. And we will then hear them talking, <coughs> excuse me, about the money. And what they're referencing, they're not going in great detail. They assume that you know. But what, what they're referencing is, I'm doing the same thing now that I just got done doing. I made $3 million to do it. Now you want to pay me $300,000. Well, that's a back end. That's a participation. That is extremely unique in each contract to the champion. Not the night you become champion. To the champion. When you defend, it's very unique. It's one of those things. So yes, it is a very different contract. It is a very different situation. And some people don't ever come back. But you have to really draw a hard line in that. I mean, it's a gift anyway. It's generosity anyway. I could tell you the whole timeline on why that came about. I could even tell you why. I, I, it's, it's a little, it's frivolous. It's a little more than, gen, than generous. You're giving a piece away blindly to whoever gets it done, right? I mean, it's a real incentive. But in fairness, the other side of it is a lot of people don't want to come back. Tony hasn't flinched. Tony's come back every time that they've called him for anybody that they've called him for. Good matches or bad matches. Matches where he hurt, matches where he's tired, matches where he's undersized. Now he's talking about going up to 170 pounds. I'm just saying, I'm just bringing this to you. There's multiple ways to do your career. I'm not faulting anybody for being wrong, but I will point out for you that what Tony's doing is very different. It's not in line with what many other people from his position did. Whether you're talking about the money and the participation, you're talking about the championships, you're talking about the main events, whatever it is, a number of these things rattle people. What goes up must come down, and people have a very hard time with that. They have a very, very hard time reclimbing that mountain, and whether you get there and you succeed or not, it still takes a certain kind of person to try because most don't. We've got some on the sidelines right now, still in the pool, still under contract, still consider themselves fighters, still in the gym, haven't competed in a period of time that used to be champion. Lots of them. And the reasons that they don't come back are somewhere with what I just named. Some of us, they can't get over the concept of, hey, I was once paid this and now I'm going to pay that. Even though it's a contract, even though it's in writing, even though this was a gift in the first place, it still plays tricks with them. And other ones are, my name was in lights, and now I'm opening for somebody else. It's one of these things. What goes up must come down. How are you going to handle it? Are you going to quit? No problem. Everybody in the UFC understands aggression. That's one. That's when the punches go one way. Very few people are truly fighters that will get up when the punches are coming at them. Tony Ferguson's a fighter. I've never seen him fight as hard as he has in this last week. I personally have spoke to Tony more this week than I have in months, and I'm friends with him. I actually spoke to him because he told me off. He told me off because I gave his number to somebody and didn't have permission. It's a whole story, but that still opened a window, and I had a back and forth with Tony. I've truly never seen him working so hard, not to mention his ideas are pretty good. Tony versus Khabib, like, I don't have to preserve the ideology of the ultimate fighter to enjoy the ultimate fighter. I don't have to preserve the idea because on season one, Chuck and Randy went out and fought each other that everybody else that coaches have to go fight each other. I don't have any problem with interesting guys who, by the way, happen to be coaches. It's not their show anyway. It's for these young, hungry men and women that are trying to find an opportunity to get in. I personally like the idea of Javier Mendez and Greg Jackson, just by example. I like the Clayton hires and the Ferraces coming in. Actually, I like actual coaches. It's a, a little bit different. I don't have to preserve that idea. Those two don't have to fight for me. I'm not predicting for you that's going to happen. 
but there was discussion at one point after I was long retired that Anderson was going to coach a team and I was going to come in and coach a team. I don't mind that concept. I think the more focus you put on the guys, and I'm going down a little bit of a different road here. What I'm sharing for you is I like the idea. Then Tony's talking about going up to 170 pounds, which opens the door for your Masvidal fights, for your Nate Diaz's fights. I like these ideas. But more than anything, I want to make sure that we show a little appreciation because we recognize the spirit and the attitude. That's what this is about. That's what this whole last week has been about. And I don't want you to miss it. And that credit all goes right to Tony Ferguson. Speaking of lightweight, the current featherweight champion, Alex Volkanovsky, has spoken a lot about moving up a weight class because he feels at 145 pounds, his legacy is already cemented. But according to Sugar Sean O'Malley, that may not be the case. Sugar Sean just poured, just loaded the pressure on Max Holloway. So, Sean was speaking about the upcoming ma uh, match between Holloway versus Volkanovski. So what, that'll be number three. And <clears throat> Max is viewed as uh, one of the great featherweights of all time. Many people are arguing that Max is the greatest featherweight of all time, including, you want to know who Max, you want to know who agrees that it's Max? Volkanovski. Volkanovski came out and said two weeks ago, maybe even as short as a week ago, if I beat Max a third time, then I am, I take the spot. I become... The greatest of all time. So when I tell you that a lot of people think that it is Max, that includes the sitting champion. But listen to what Sean said. Sean said, if Max gets beat by Volkanovski, he can no longer have the claim as the greatest featherweight of all time. You cannot lose to somebody three times. I believe he used the word tarnish. He might have used a word that means the same as tar said it would tarnish Max. Now, when I talk about Sean just put pressure, and I don't think that was Sean's goal at all. I think that Sean was just speaking. Matter of fact, you can't lose to the same, same guy three times. That put a lot of pressure. It really did. I mean, fighting for, for GOAT status was something that I never was in a position to do. I can't fully relate to that. But I do know for the guys on the extreme short list to be GOAT or moreover that are recognized as the GOAT, that's something very special that they want, something very special that they're clinging to. Now, first off, is Sean right? My producer, Ryan, asked me this question. He said, hey, is that true? You know, if, if, if you're the greatest ever, but you're at the back end of your career, and this new young guy comes in, and, and he takes you out, and you, you just can't deal with him at that point in your career, does it become true? And I said, well, Ryan, i got to stop you right there, because that's not the situation. Contrary to popular belief, Volkanovsky is older than Max. Max just got here first. Max was the youngest at one point. At one point when Max was in the UFC, he was either the youngest currently in the UFC or was the youngest to ever be in the UFC. When I met Max Holloway face-to-face, -face, we're on the same car, shook his hand, he was 20 years old. And that's when that statement was true. I, I, I had just read it right before I met him and we explained uh, exchange niceties with each other. He's still a young guy. That story that I just told you was from 2013. So no, no, there's no way to do the math. If a guy was 20 in 2013, how old is he in 2022? Like that's impossible to ever find out. But the point is, Max is a very well-seasoned veteran. And he's an extremely accomplished guy. And I would argue that nobody had ever been anointed goat of a division 
as young as and as successfully as Max did, but it's not the situation of somebody newer and younger has come along. It's just the fresher face. It's just the less experienced face. And I bring that because I don't see it the same way Sean does. I, I can't put that pressure on Max. There is definitely for sure a meaningful conversation, including if Volkanovski gets his hand raised again. Because it's not what I saw. I saw Max beat Volkanovski twice. One of them, eh, the second time, the one in Abu Dhabi, for, not even a question. For me, for me, I'm, I'm not a great judge. I'm just sharing with you. I, while not being a great judge, I am influential within the space. And if I'm going to be the one that's going to tell the story after the fact, and I'm the one, uh, or one of the ones that's going to come and tell the future generations about something that possibly they did not witness, I'm not going to be able to say that Max got his ass kicked three times. I'm not sure Max has got his ass kicked yet. I'm extremely bullish on the idea that in a worst case scenario, they're one and one. Do I have the right to do that? Do I have the right unilaterally to come in and change history based on what my eyes told me? Well, that's how this works. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that I do. I am. And sometimes you just run into that guy. And sometimes you just run into that time. I'm fully convinced at 170 pounds in any other era, Colby Covington's champion of the world. Dana White went as far as to say, if Kamar Usman doesn't exist, Colby Covington is the world champion. I watched Colby Covington have an interim championship of which he never lost. Woke up one day, wasn't the interim champion. I watched Colby Covington beat the sitting reigning BMF champion and not become the BMF champion. It's one of those things. John Anik was asked his list of the top five welterweights ever. And he put all the names that you would think. I mean, he paid the homage to the St. Pierre's. He paid the homage to the T-Woods. Of course, you can't talk about that without throwing in Matt Hughes, but he did put Colby Covington. Colby Covington, who was never the champion of the world. It was the only non-champion of the world on John's list for top five ever. And you know what? John's completely right. Colby is a top five ever. Just happens to have the same guy. I'm a big wrestling fan. One of the great wrestlers that the world's ever produced, but that America specifically has ever produced. This guy's got more re youngest world champion in history. I mean, just amazing. It's Kyle Schneider. Kyle Schneider is competing and going head-to-head -head in the same era, at the same time, at the same weight class with the guy they call the Russian tank. Sajulayev is said to be the greatest wrestler to have ever done it. I don't know that I fully agree with that. I think Burroughs and Smith are in front. Totally different conversation. But he is believed to be the absolute best, and Kyle has to go head-to-head -head with him. So if Kyle comes in with the, the silver medal, it does not dismiss Kyle. It very much speaks to who your opponent, opponents were. Daniel Cormier was as good of a college wrestler as I have ever seen. He did not win the championship. Oh, should I mention he was head-to-head -head in the same era, in the same year, in the same weight class as Kale Sanderson. The only wrestler to ever go undefeated. And by the way, grace the cover of the Wheaties box. It's one of those things. Who you're taking on and when you're taking them on is extremely relevant. I used to have a back and forth that this guy used to fight named Tito Ortiz. But Tito was claiming that he was a champion. He's giving speeches to kids as to what it's like to be a champion, and then he teased me for not. I'm going, well, Tito, the championship that you won when there was 11 guys under contract versus the championship I tried to win when there was 556 guys under contract, they're very different. That's a fair argument by me. I wouldn't be ridiculous and say that he didn't win the championship just because I'm in an argument with him. He did, but it was a very different championship. So who you're fighting, when you're fighting, it's, it's, it's really relevant. And sometimes you get these worlds that collide. I mean, BJ Penn was as good as you guys heard BJ Penn was. 
I knew that firsthand. I not only felt him, I watched him. I could name names of who I've watched in the practice room. B.J. Pendergold, he was as good as reported. So at the same time as the greatest to have ever done it, George St. Pierre. I mean, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I can't discredit B.J. or George. It's the opposite. I have to credit both of them for stepping in with nothing but short pants and a mouthpiece and putting that possible legacy and that current reputation on the line. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a cool thing. I think it's a positive thing. Sugar Sean just added to this fight. Because if you guys take Sean's side, we just change the stakes. We have If Sean wins this narrative battle, we have completely changed this. Sugar Sean may have single-handedly and accidentally just given this fight a promotional push to a whole new level. Okay, guys, I'm going to spend the next few minutes of the program discussing tomorrow night's main event and also some news in the women's division. But before we do that, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. Does your lawn have weeds, bear patches, those annoying yellow pet spots? Sunday can help you solve all these problems and more the easy way. They've got everything you need from fertilizer to seeds to weed control, and it's all delivered right to your door. I don't know about you guys, but my yard is a personal oasis. It deserves the best. Sunday helps you grow a beautiful lawn, control pests, and fight weeds without the toxic stuff. Sunday's custom lawn care is effective and super easy. Just go to GetSunday.com, put in your address, and their lawn analysis tools does the rest. They use soil and climate data to create a personal nutrient plan delivered to you right to your door when you need it. Sunday's lawn care products are made with your family in mind. That's why they use ingredients you can feel good about like seaweed, iron, and molasses. The best part, it really works. And Sunday is offering my listeners 20% off. Get a full season plan starting at just $129. And you can get 20% off when you visit GetSunday.com slash Chael at checkout. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Chael. Amanda Nunes came out and she basically revealed why she left ATT. Now, this is her second time talking about the fact that she left and why, and it's two very different stories. There is nothing wrong with that. In the moment when you're leaving, and I imagine that that would be very drastic. Like, I've lost teammates before, but to have a teammate that was that attached and that long-standing with the gym, not to mention successful, not only a champion, a two-time champion, no longer a two-time champion, but still the champion of the world. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big deal when they decide, hey, I'm leaving these doors and I'm not coming back, so I'm just going back in time. But when Amanda made that statement, she was very polite. She said, look, I'm going to go do my own gym. This is a dream that I've always had. The opportunity is now. I'm going to start. Build a gym, build a business for my family's future, and also start to bring in and train the next stable of fighters. Okay, great. It didn't sound right when she said it to me. It didn't sound right. This wasn't 
a gym issue where a massive mistake was made, at least not that we saw and was revealed to us. And not to mention, she's the world champion. She's the sitting, reigning world champion. Things must be going pretty well. Can we agree on that? All right. So she's now come out and she's clarified. She said it had a lot to do with Kayla Harrison. And Amanda was speaking from her own perspective, saying, look, I was the first female at the gym. I built the gym. We now have lots of females that come to the gym. I get some credit for that. I mean, she didn't use that word. I'm at it, but it's because of me. So not to mention the success. I am the champion. As a matter of fact, I am the double champion. Moreover, I am the only double champion in the entire sport. And this is where I call home. But Kayla was speaking up and we all noticed that. And I don't know that Kayla ever crossed a line in all fairness. Each gym has its rule on where those lines are. Like the scrap back, the scrap pack, the Diaz boys, Shields, Gilbert, that would have in a million years never happened. But with other gym, it's not like that. I came from the old team quest gym and we all liked one another. We would have competed at any time. It was different. But we had also come from a competitive wrestling background where you get into a bracket, they match you up. You got to go out there and do the match. It was different. It was just a different mentality. It wasn't a lack of loyalty. And I share with you, I don't really know what it is at the American top team. I had never seen anybody quite as vocal as Kayla, aside from Colby. But Colby was the one who was asked to leave. And I did hear Kayla speaking up, and she's saying, I like to get to the UFC, and I think I can win the championship, and I've trained with Amanda. I mean, she was speaking up. It was helpful. I enjoyed it from where I was sitting, but I didn't consider it from Amanda's standpoint. That's very fair by Amanda, because what if Kayla's right? I mean, losing your championship is hard enough. Having a true contender coming up with the same dream at the same time, trying to take everything that you've got, it's hard enough. It's a stressful enough situation. Having that person do it side by side with you in a gym who is providing opportunity to the gender because of you, I, it could hurt someone's feelings. Sure. I think Amanda's very fair to say this. And I don't know where that's ever going to go, the Kayla Amanda talk. Like, that was a thing. That was a, that was a talk for a brief period of time that I was personally into, but it was because of things that Kayla said about the training room. Now, this is this is selfish. This is the fan. I was enjoying the drama. Not putting myself in Amanda's shoes, which she has now revealed, makes a lot of sense. When I say I was enjoying the drama, Kayla said, I trained with Amanda when I very first got there. My first couple of weeks, never having done MMA, I trained with Amanda. With any level of experience, I am very confident that I can go out and beat Amanda. I mean, that's a lot to say about your teammate. There's probably going to be some kind of repercussions. That could have gone back and forth and gotten very ugly. Amanda said nothing. So it was very different than, than the Colby situation, just by example, where Masvidal was firing back or Poirier starts firing back. Like, Amanda chose to say nothing, but now Amanda has chose to leave. What's going to happen to her? Who is she now training with? Anytime a fighter does something different, we get something different. In the world of boxing, this is a disaster. In the world of MMA, it's seen a little bit less often, so our focus group is a little bit smaller. And in the short period of time, we've seen some real success with it. Kamar Usman has gotten better since going out to Colorado. Colby Covington has gotten better going out and doing his own thing. But historically speaking, that, that's not always the case, and it does come down to who's your coach. You know, Figueredo just went through this. Just went through it. Figueredo lost his championship and he came out and said, I left my team. I went to my own gym. 
I'm now in charge. I got to run these classes. Somebody doesn't show up. I've got to fill in. I got to try to get my own workouts. Like it's extremely hard to be a coach and an athlete simultaneously. It's extremely hard. One is very selfish. One is very selfless. It's just hard. I would be curious who Amanda's team is. I would be curious who she's got around her. The same as I was curious with Kamar Usman, the same as I was curious with Colby Covington. But now that you hear her reasons, I don't know that she really had a choice. I, I, I don't know about that. That would be a very interesting spot, particularly if it was true. Particularly if Amanda herself thought my biggest threat is standing right there. Regardless of how that goes when they work out or regardless how it went the couple of weeks they worked out or regardless of what happened in the future. The mere fact that my biggest threat is right, I got to be, I got to count on everybody in here. Everybody in here has got to be aligned with the same goals, which is preserving my championship. As soon as that gets dented, trust starts to go down. Now morale, morale goes down. It goes to hell in a handbasket fast. But either way, we do have some clarity. I accept this answer. That sounds right. That sounds like what we all suspected five, six, seven months ago when Amanda first left the gym. Where that goes from here and how her training goes, let's wish her the best. Time will tell. My official prediction, Vieira versus Holm. Guys, I'm taking Holm, but I've got a little bit of a caveat. I would like to see Holm do something different. If I could give Holly Holmes some advice, and I must tell you, this might be the worst advice I've ever given, or at least the most unique. Like, I would have never said this for anybody in my life. I'm not sure I would ever say it again. But hear me out on this. Holly Holm is made for duration. Five rounds, no problem. Does some of her best work in the fourth round. Third round, she's coming at you. The first two, I find her to be a little bit of a slow starter. I really do. And the advice that I would give is don't be able to go to the fifth round. Be so completely exhausted prior to the fifth round that you have to quit on the stool. Have no energy left. Now, that's terrible advice. That is not advice that I would take for myself or that I would heed on to anybody else ever. You got to plan for a worst case scenario. You must manage your energy. The entire battle is a battle of who can get who tired faster. But I think that Holly can get people out of there, and I think that she's given a distinct advantage. Guys, listen listen to this, and think about it from this perspective. If you had a great grappler, and the fight started on the ground, you were extremely unlikely to ever get up. The grappler would be at such a huge advantage that you're probably never going to see round two. In fact, you're probably never going to see these athletes on their feet. Think about that from that perspective. You had a great grappler and the fight started on the ground. Who are you going to bet on? Do you even need any more info? You're going to say, this is silly. This is ridiculous. There's nothing to see here. I agree with you. But Holly Holm is a 17-time world boxing and kickboxing champion. She has the same advantage that we just agreed goes to the grappler. She gets to start every fight with this massive advantage. She should be getting people out of there. The same as you would think the grappler is going to find a submission or secure a position or wear them down, or put the weight on them, or ground and pat. The same way as you would think that the industry could not possibly move forward if we start these fights on the ground. It's the same thing in reverse. She's got to get them out of there. And she has the skills to do it, and she has the power to do it, and she has the volume to do it. Holly Holm is an excellent, excellent fighter. And she always shows up in excellent, excellent shape. But if I was to go back and look at the fights that Holly has been defeated in, 
It wasn't because you've got this 17. It wasn't what everybody thought, which is you have this wonderful striker, 17-time world boxing and kickboxing champion, the most decorated female striker to ever come into our sport. So you're going to think if you go back and you look at her resume and you look at her losses that they all took place on the ground, that the problem was the deficit on the ground, the same thing we've seen since 1993. That's not the case here. Holly was just fine on the ground and she's extremely difficult to get there. It's one of these cases where I feel, I feel, I don't know, but I feel that at the end of the night, Holly still got gas in the tank. I mean, she is one of the great conditioned athletes in the history of our sport. You got to use that. And I do see many, I won't name them, but I do see many who show up in this fantastic conditioning where they're the only ones in the locker room. They're the only ones in the back that don't have to second guess themselves. If you ever wonder what confidence comes from, it only comes from one thing. Confidence does not come from experience. It doesn't have, it doesn't come from your ranking versus your opponent or your skills versus your opponent. Confidence comes to one thing, the belief that you have in your conditioning. That's it. If you are in great shape, you will feel confident. If you're not and you took shortcuts, you didn't have enough time, you didn't eat right, whatever your excuse would be, you now don't have confidence. It is one thing and one thing only. And I do see a number of these athletes who are some of the better conditions athletes in our sport. They can go five rounds easier than anyone else, but I don't see them use that energy. They look like they're ready for a sixth. They look like they're ready for a seventh. There should be nothing left. You should look like a train. If you're taking on an unexperienced fighter doesn't have much of a chance with you, or you're taking on a world title fight, it should be no difference in terms of how much your heart is pumping out of your chest. You should look like you were hit by a train. You should be completely exhausted in these contests. And I do see a number of fighters that look fresh. I'll hear the announcers say it. They mean it as a compliment. It's not a compliment. It's terrible. If you didn't leave it all out there, you didn't give the fans, you didn't, you didn't show respect to your opponent, you didn't think that you had to use it, you didn't show respect to yourself, you thought I'm going to save this for what? For the shower in the back? For taking your gloves off for your after party? What do you need the energy for? It's a very strange thing. And I do think that Holly's guilty of it. I think that hers, I believe her skills. She is world-class quality. Absolutely. I'm not convinced like most that her best days are behind her. I don't believe that. I think Holly can kick just as much ass now as she ever did. And I think she's got two, three good years still in her. She does not take a lot of damage, and it does come back to the way that she prepares. She is a consummate professional. You can just tell by looking at her. The stories that come out of her in the practice room, she's the first one there. She's the last one to go. I mean, this is a consummate professional. This is a great athlete, but if you got this energy, you got to go use it, and you got to use it now. I think that my analogy, when Holly hears it, I think that it will resonate. I think that it will set in with her a little bit. I'm going to say it a third time, but if you had a great grappler and you started the fight on the ground, there's a reason that we don't do that. The opponent would have no chance. The sport would be dull. The result would be known. If that's all true, then the other side of the coin, the exact opposite, has to be true, and it is. Somebody's going to be given a massive advantage because of how this game is played. If it's the same, then let's start them on the ground. But we don't. If we did the fight, we get ended quickly. Same thing has to be true in reverse. If you have a dominant striker, they need to go out there, they need to start striking dominantly right now. Don't wait. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I'm off to Eagle FC. 
And if you want to catch a preview for that, just head on over to my YouTube channel. It's out right now. And of course, we've got Holm versus Vieira tomorrow night, so there's going to be a lot more MMA for you to enjoy this weekend. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.